The following sermon is part of a series going through the book of Philippians, and it was preached at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. For more sermons, please visit our sermon audio page. It is our hope and prayer that this content is edifying for you. Our scripture reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We continue our series this morning by considering verse 4 of Philippians 4. We read the first 13 verses of Philippians 4. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eodias and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. We read that far in God's holy word. The text that we specially consider this morning is verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, Joyce. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the sermon this morning will be repetitive. I will not be ashamed about repetition. That's a common complaint about preaching today. The preacher is repetitive. He said the same thing last week or the week before or Within the same sermon, he said the same thing again and again. And this kind of repetition has received a bad connotation. It's associated with the idea that something is boring, dull, tiresome, or too long. 
And while I do not deny that a, pr a preacher can be properly criticized for being too repetitive and too redundant, God's people need to recognize that repetition is a good thing. Repetition has the purpose of emphasis, emphasis that we need to impress God's Word unto our hearts. Because we are a forgetful people, repetition is necessary to remind us it is for our good memories. The Holy Spirit uses repetition to help us remember the truth, the words of Jesus Christ, and the comfort that we need day by day. Do not despise repetition. Let not the familiarity of the truths that we think on this morning breed contempt as they are remembered and repeated. Repetition is not only good, repetition is inspired. The Holy Spirit repeats the same truths throughout God's Word. In fact, there would be something wrong if you find something new everywhere and never repeated throughout Scripture. It must be repeated. The Holy Spirit repeats the law. And the Holy Spirit especially repeats the gospel, the same gospel of Jesus Christ throughout His Word. And who here is ready to say, I'm tired of hearing the repetition of the gospel? Let that never be in the church of Jesus Christ. The believer delights in repetition, especially of the gospel. Along with Peter, I say this morning in 2 Peter 1.12, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. And in the book of Philippians, what is repeated is this theme of joy, this theme of rejoicing. Through our series of sermons, we have heard this theme of joy repeated throughout the book of Philippians. In chapter 1, we find Paul thanking God. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, verses 3 and 4. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy, he says. He thanks God for the Philippians with joy. In chapter 1, verse 18, when Paul speaks of those who were preaching the gospel out of envy and out of bad motivations, Paul says with joy, What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Exhorting them to humility, in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Even in his polemical section in chapter 3, where Paul speaks against error, he begins that section, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And in the beginning of chapter 4 that we read, Paul calls the Philippians, My joy and crown. And those are only a handful of instances where Paul brings up this theme of joy and rejoicing. The Philippian church and the church of Jesus Christ today, having heard all these repeated mentioning of joy, might say, we get it. We get the point, Paul. You're joyful, and we ought to be joyful as well. 
Are you being repetitive? And Paul responds in this text. Rejoice. And again, I rejoice. Literally, that last rejoice has this meaning. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul insists on repeating it. Said it before. I'll say it again, he says. I will rejoice. The Holy Spirit inspires not only repetition, but in our text, the Holy Spirit inspires insistence upon repetition. So I preach in the concept that you've heard me preach multiple times here at Hope, and a concept that the elders have brought to you during family visitation regarding the joy of our salvation. And today, with that concept of joy, I repeat to you the same gospel. And I repeat to you the same breaking of bread. And the same breaking of wine, or pouring of wine. And call you to that joy. Again, I say rejoice. First, the meaning. The meaning of the rejoicing. Second, the timing. Always, as Paul says. And third, the calling. The calling which is personal and repeated. What is this joy and rejoicing? I remind you of a definition that I have given you before here at Hope PRC. Joy or rejoicing is that spirit-wrought state of mind whereby the soul is lifted up by the glad tidings of the gospel. Joy, true joy of Scripture is the spirit-wrought state of mind whereby the soul is lifted up by the glad tidings of the gospel. Two points about that joy. From that definition. First, I remind you that joy is first of the mind, before it is of the emotion. It is of the mind, first of all, before it is of the emotions or feelings passions. Does it involve emotions? Yes. Are emotions and passions important? Indeed. We should have joyful emotions also. Emotions and passions are not to be discounted, and yet those feelings and emotions must be guided by and checked by the mind, the mind which God has given us and renewed within us. This rejoicing in the Lord is first of the mind, and then, and then, only then, of the emotions guided by the mind. Notice how that is implied here in this text. It's from this text. I get that from the word rejoice. It's in the imperative. It's in the imperative. That is, it is a command to you and to me. You must rejoice. When a command comes in the Bible... Think of the Ten Commandments. Think of the command that Jesus gives to sum up the Ten Commandments. Love the Lord thy God and love thy neighbor. When a command comes, that command must be, first of all, to the mind. And the mind's thinking and the mind's willing. Not, first of all, to the feelings. And so when you hear the word, love your neighbor, commanded. God is saying to you, 
think with your mind upon how he has loved you first in Jesus Christ. Think with that mind of how Jesus has loved you. And Jesus has so loved you that even when it didn't feel good for him, it wasn't about feelings first of all, when it didn't feel good for him to die on the cross for you, he still loved you. He thought upon you and chose to love you. Think upon that. And then now you, in response to that love of God in Jesus Christ, choose to love Him back. Even if it's not according to your feelings quite yet. And if you say to me, well, I don't feel like loving my neighbor. I don't feel like loving my spouse. Then I'll say to you, on the basis of God's word, the command comes to your mind and will first before your feelings. And so also in this text, rejoice. And that command, as every command in the scripture does, comes first of all to your mind and will. And you respond to me perhaps, but I don't feel happy. And I say, it's of the mind. Choose joy. First that, of the mind, and then later of the feelings. Second, I remind you of this point about joy. That is, joy, not only first of all about the mind, then the feelings, but secondly, joy is of the inward soul before it is of the outward expression. It's first of the inward soul before it is of the outward expression. Similar to feelings, the outward expressions of joy have an ebb and flow. They're sometimes there and sometimes they are not. There's a coming and a going of the outward expressions. But the joy of the Christian within the soul continues, even when the outward expressions are not there. The calling of this text is, first of all, of the inward soul's joy. First graders, we had a program last weekend. And it is true, it is good to S-M-I-L-E, to smile, to grin, to laugh. Those are expressions of joy. But it's important that you know this, that joy, true joy is not, first of all, of the smiling and the grinning and the laughing. True joy is that of the inward soul, of the heart. And that's proven by this point, this fact, that there are many unbelievers in this world, many who don't have faith in Jesus Christ, who will laugh, who will grin, who will smile. They're not truly joyful. They're not truly obeying this text and rejoicing in the Lord. In fact, the unbeliever grins about sin. You listening, first graders? The unbeliever smiles and laughs about that which is disrespectful to his teacher. They joke about dirty things. They take pleasure in sin. And we're tempted to follow them. And that's not true rejoicing. There may, those may be the outward expressions of happiness. But that's not what this text is talking about, first of all. It's of an inward soul's joy before it is of the outward expression. Another proof that it is of the inward before the outward is found in chapter 3, verse 18. Paul himself, 
when he speaks of rejoicing, was not always outwardly showing forth expressions of what looked like joy. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul was crying in chapter 3, verse 18. And we can put it this way. As the tears of sorrow were still in his eyes, he wrote our text, chapter 4, verse 4. His face may not have come to the expressions of smiling yet, but his heart rejoiced. Joy is not an outward frivolity, first of all, or a short-term merriment. It is not artificially stimulated by alcohol, drugs, entertainment, or some other earthly pleasure. It is not a silliness and an immaturity. In fact, there's too much of that in this world. Men, we need to grow up and start taking life more seriously. Joy is not this playing games all the time and having fun. Paul's talking about an inward soul rejoicing. And then, of course, yes, after that, there will be expressions of joy. Therefore, rejoice. Remembering those two points. The mind first before the feelings, the inward soul, before the outward expression. In the Lord, this is how we rejoice properly. In the Lord, the text says. And the Lord means two things. First, it means that the Lord is the source of your joy. And secondly, it means that the Lord is the content of your joy. He is the source of your joy because He is the only one that can give you the power to rejoice. That prepositional phrase in the Lord to remind you of your union to Jesus, your connection to Jesus Christ, that you are bound to Jesus Christ by a real bond or engrafting it should remind you of the picture of John 15, when Jesus says he is the vine and you are the branches. And you as a branch are in the Lord, joined to the true vine. And from that true vine, Jesus Christ, there flows into you the branches, this very joy. A spirit wrought joy, remember the definition, a spirit wrought state of mind whereby we're lifted up. And so, remember this, beloved, it's so important to remember this and think upon this. When Paul says rejoice, he does not mean try really hard to be happy. That will just result in a fake outward show. Forcing of the smile does not make your troubles vanish away. But Paul means Rejoice by the power of Jesus Christ. Rejoice by being joined to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let there flow from Jesus Christ unto you joy from the vine to the branch. Rejoice in the Lord. And the believer who hears that says, yes, 
Yes, I can. Chapter, chapter 4, verse 13. I can. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can rejoice. I do rejoice because He strengthens me unto this. His Spirit does work in me like sap does flow into the branches of the vine so that the Spirit gives unto me a fruit of the Spirit, which is not only love, as Galatians 5.22 puts it, but joy. And you see that beautiful picture this morning in the Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper, sometimes we come thinking we need to be sad. And that's true. We need to sorrow for our sins. But in the Lord's Supper, there must be joy as well. Or think of the vine. Wine. Wine is of the vine. The vine is Jesus Christ who gives us today His wine. And this wine, beloved, is a symbol of joy. That's understandable because you know that wine has an alcohol content and its natural effects makes one feel uplifted. It's a symbol of joy by itself, to qualify that, you who are tempted to make wine your joy. By itself, wine is not joy. Many people look to wine for joy, and that must be repented of. But it is a symbol of joy, and it points to the truth that Jesus Christ gives us His Spirit like wine. More even than in your little cups. And causes there to flow a spiritual sort of wine from Him the vine to you the branches that you might rejoice. That flows to you. Think on that as you partake of the cup this morning. In the Lord, and our text means... That Jesus is the source of this joy. But secondly, He's also the content. Joy in the Lord is a spirit-wrought state of mind whereby the soul is lifted up by the glad tidings of the Gospel. It is as we think upon the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith that we receive this joy. Faith's activity. Faith's activity is to think upon Jesus Christ as you partake of the Lord's Supper. How His broken body and His shed blood has been broken and shed for you, for me. And that His righteousness is upon us imputed to us. And the wrath of God, as we've considered in our family visitation, has to be turned away from us and placed upon Him instead. That we might have the forgiveness of all our sins freely and have fellowship with our God, even as demonstrated in the Lord's Supper this morning. Communion with Jehovah God covenant with Him, all because of Jesus Christ, what He has done. 
think on Him, how He justifies us, how He sanctifies us, how He preserves us. That's the content of your joy. As you partake of the Lord's Supper, beware of a Roman Catholic doctrine. And you're familiar with the Roman Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation, but there's another Roman Catholic doctrine you might not be so aware of, and that is the doctrine of ex opera operato. It's a Latin term which refers to some sort of automatic, miraculous infusion simply by the act of eating and drinking the bread and wine. The Roman Catholic Church taught that. That although the people didn't understand the, the sermons, they were in Latin, they didn't have the Bible in front of them in their own language, although the people didn't have the gospel in their minds and hearts, although the people partook of communion as a superstition, many of them, they taught that as long as the people ate the bread and wine, there was this supernatural, miraculous communication of blessings. And I tell you that not simply to point out the Roman Catholic error and, and, and false doctrine of ex opera operato, but to warn you that Reformed people can fall into the same thing very easily, practically. So that you say, I'm going to come to church, sit in the pew, and we think that engaging in this outward activity while our minds are somewhere else and our faith is not active, and we're not repentant, that somehow that we're going to receive the strengthening of ourselves spiritually. That's the Roman Catholic error. By faith, beloved. By faith. As faith clings with understanding to the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as faith dwells Upon Him and Him crucified for us. There flows. In Christ to us. Blessings. Joy. Like a spiritual new wine. To our hearts. At the Lord's Supper we're called. To rejoice. But not only at the Lord's Supper. Always, the text says, literally, at all times, rejoice in the Lord, always. First Thessalonians 5.16 uses the same word, and it's translated this way, rejoice evermore in every circumstance that is. And I don't have time this morning to apply it to every circumstance, but the context guides us to the particular circumstances that we must apply it to. Rejoice always, Paul means, first, in this circumstance, too, during sorrow and suffering. Notice how I put that. During sorrow and suffering. Not after the sorrow and suffering is over. But during sorrow and suffering. Because this rejoicing is supposed to be always. Paul, remember, was in the very midst of suffering and sorrow. He was in prison in Rome, soon to face trial. Very familiar to us. We've repeated that through our series. He heard about how the Philippians were suffering persecution and sorrows and trials. And the Philippians must have remembered Paul because 
on his first missionary journey, Paul was placed in the Philippian jail. And as they thought upon Paul in the Roman jail, they could picture him very clearly because he had been in their own jail. You remember this story in Acts chapter 16? And it was while he was in the in jail, not just in prison, but with his back bloodied and with his arms and legs and stalks, children, he and Silas, remember what they did? Acts 16.25, And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. They rejoiced in the Lord during their suffering. During their sorrow. And that was exactly what Paul was doing even as he wrote Philippians and called the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord with him. No, he's no masochist. Paul was not saying, I enjoy the pain and the sorrow itself. Or rather, he was rejoicing in the gospel. It was rejoicing in the fact that though he suffered, Christ had taken a greater suffering for him. It was rejoicing in the fact that his own suffering was evidence that Christ had suffered for him. It was rejoicing that Christ was using the suffering for the salvation of himself and the church of Jesus Christ. Paul does not say rejoice in the Lord always as one who didn't understand what that meant. He knew what suffering meant. But he also knew that the Spirit of God worked in him the ability to rejoice in the Lord in the very midst of suffering. And out of that, he called the Philippian church, he calls us, rejoice always. In the time of death, even as cancer comes upon you, in your loneliness, after your failures, rejoice in Him. Though all things change and change for the worse, rejoice in your Savior who is unchangeable in His loving kindness toward you. It doesn't mean we won't feel pain. It doesn't mean we make light of our suffering. Especially does not mean we make light of other sufferings. But in the midst of it, even if our outward expressions don't show it all the time. The believer has an inward joy. Even when the feelings aren't there yet, the believer chooses to delight in the Lord. Always, Paul says, in the midst of suffering and sorrow, or perhaps you respond to that this morning, I can take the sorrow to my own personal life. I can take the suffering of old age and 
physical affliction and even death. But what about what about church conflict? What about when the church is being torn and family members in the church are being attacked and are leaving? And there's doctrinal problems or schismatic behavior. And then I say, remember, I remind you, I repeat to you, chapter 3, the Philippian church was facing Judaizer false teaching and antinomian heresy. False doctrine. The Philippians were in the midst of a of doctrinal controversy too, we can say. And I'll remind you of that, but in verses 2 and 3 that we recently considered, there was Eudias and Syntyche who were divided and causing division in the church. We can say there was schismatic behavior in the church of Philippi. And Paul says to the Philippians, in that circumstance also, still rejoice in the Lord always. Not just after controversy is over, not just after division has been healed, not just after affliction, not just after Monday is over, or after the long week is done, not just after you feel the homework has been completed, not just after, but during. There are many enemies to this joy. You can call them robbers of joy, murmuring discontent, self-pity, anger, bitterness, suspicion, worry, which we considered last week, negative attitudes, slander, gossip, enemies of joy. And there's one word to describe them all. Sin. Sin. Not just other people sin against us, but what robs us of joy is our own sinful response, our own sin. And I say to you this morning, as you partake the Lord's Supper, sorrow for your sin. You need to be sad for your sin. And you might say, but I thought we we're supposed to rejoice. Yes, both. Sorrow for your sin. Repent of your sin before God. And as you do, because only as you do, you turn to look to Jesus Christ and see in Him covering of all your sins. Lord's Day 33 points this out. True conversion. Not only a sincere sorrow of heart, but at the same time, 
a sincere joy of heart in God through Christ. Even while you sorrow for sin today, your own sin, your own self-righteousness, rejoice always. That's Christ's call through Paul. When Paul brings this calling, he makes it very personal. His calling is personal in that personal pronoun. Rejoice, he says, and again, I say, rejoice. Those Philippians knew Paul very personally. They knew his suffering. They knew his love. How powerful, therefore, it was when they heard Paul say, I who love you, I who am in the very midst of suffering, I say, rejoice. I encourage you to do the same. How powerful is it how powerful it is when God's people, who in the very midst of suffering, don't discount their suffering. No, they don't. They look to their neighbor who perhaps is not suffering nearly as much as they are. And they say, Rejoice. And again, I say, I say, well, you may think, have no reason to rejoice. I say, rejoice. Rejoice with me in the Lord. In the time of death. In a time when you are stressed with all the busyness of work and church work. In your trials of singlehood, barrenness, after you lose, after you fail, those especially with the opportunities that God gives to us, His people, to show forth true joy, which we can have by His grace always. But what is far more powerful than a personal call from a sufferer is this. It's the calling of Jesus Christ. As Paul writes, it's inspired by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And this morning as you hear the Word of God, you hear Jesus Christ, don't you? He says, He says, Rejoice. And again, I say, Jesus says, I say, rejoice. I who suffered in your place, suffered more than you ever suffer. I serve you bread and wine today to remind you of that suffering, what I have done for you. And I say, rejoice. And when he calls, his people are irresistibly drawn unto this joy. And today he repeats, 
Himself and calls you to joy in the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, through faith and by the power of the Spirit, we pray, lift us up with the glad tidings of the Gospel, with Thy Word and with the Holy Sacrament, that we might joy not only today, but always. Make the repetition of this Gospel that which only increases our joy. For Jesus' sake, Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope PR Ministry Podcast. We are a part of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, and we are located in West Michigan. Our goal is to spread our distinctive Reformed beliefs. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at hoperwc at gmail.com and visit our website at hopeprchurch.org if you would like to learn more about our beliefs. You can also worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m.